When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When a man in an old-fashioned suit and speaking in a la-di-da English accent arrived in Glasgow's fashionable West End not so long ago, claiming to be a university academic, he excited a limited amount of polite interest in the local community. He was known to locals as Arthur Knight. For thousands of miles away in America, he was believed by the authorities to be Nicholas Rossi, a fugitive from the law who would soon be arrested on an international warrant. Rossi was wanted in four US states on charges including fraud, sexual assault and rape. By the way, if those issues are a trigger for you, consider this a warning. A man suspected in a sexual assault case in Utah years ago is now in police custody in Scotland tonight. That same man faked his own death in Rhode Island just two years ago. Now the subject of an extradition battle, he maintains he's the victim of a monstrous miscarriage of justice, that it's all a case of mistaken identity, and that in the fullness of time he'll be shown to be innocent. But for authorities in the US, and now in Scotland, as well as Rossi's alleged victims on both sides of the Atlantic, he's a suspect on the run from justice. One American prosecutor is in hot pursuit. Utah County Attorney David Levitt says finding and arresting Nicholas Rossi was no easy task. This is a real break in a difficult case. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Arthur Knight, bookish Dell boy or international fugitive? My name is Mark Horn. I'm Scotland reporter for The Times. So I report on anything and everything that goes on north of the border for The Times. That is a big brief, Mark. It is. But there's nothing quite as unusual as this particular story has has landed on my desk. As we are going to find out. So in the first instance, can you just tell us what the name is of the person we're going to be talking about. It depends on who you ask. If you ask the US authorities, have you asked the Scottish authorities, they say this person is Nicholas Rossi, a.k.a. Nicholas Aliverdian, a.k.a. 16 other aliases. If you ask the suspect in question, he is Arthur Knight. 
He is an innocent Irish-born tutor who lives in Glasgow who has never been to the United States and is bewildered as to why he's at the centre of this international incident. Now, of course, there's much that is strange and bizarre that you're going to tell us, but what do you think about this story is important? Sometimes people attach levity to it, but it is a very important story. This is a person who, according to the US authorities, according to the Scottish authorities, is extremely dangerous. They have managed to fake their own death, make their way to the UK and start a new life in a bid to evade justice. Then there's the whole issue of extradition and whether people from the US can be extradited from this country. And it's not as simple as you might imagine. So those are the things that we have to bear in mind as we're going through the story. Now, can I just ask you, before we really get into it, how did you come across it? December last year, I got a call from the news desk saying there's an incredible story breaking in your neck of the woods. There's a guy who has been wanted by Interpol. He's turned up in a hospital in Glasgow. We want you to get on the case and find out what's going on. I get to work. I find out about this individual, I do my research, and then I try and track him down. Now, let's go right the way back, wind the story back, because this starts in the US state of Utah. Can you tell us how the story really begins? The Utah County Attorney is a guy called David Levitt. He came in on a reformist agenda, and he said there was a bunch of rape kits which had been lying unanalyzed during the reign of his predecessor. He had them analyzed, and one of them came up as a positive that was linked to this individual who they alleged is Nicholas Rossi, a.k.a. Nicholas Alaverdian. And he said that he made it his life's work to track this guy down and bring him to justice. One of the problems that we have with tracking defendants, particularly sex crime uh, perpetrators is that they, they skip from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. That's why the Sexual Assault Kit Initiative is so valuable because it can provide a hit based on DNA across the world. We're grateful that we are in a position to bring this person into justice. So this is a rape kit taken from a victim which has been lying around unanalyzed in Utah, and this yep. incoming attorney says, I'm going to take a look at this. And the yep. name against the positive DNA sample is Nicholas Rossi. And do we know where he was actually living at this point? Levitt is looking at this uh, about 2019. Back in 2008, Nicholas Rossi was a resident of Utah, but when the evidence came to light again, he wasn't. Uh, and they had to find out what, exactly where he was, and that's what triggered this, this global manhunt. Okay, so by 2019, how old is Rossi? Yeah, he's in his early 30s by that time. Right, so when the alleged crimes were committed, he was in his 20s. That's right, yeah. And who do they imagine at this point this Nicholas Rossi is? They said he was a guy who would meet women online, they would meet in a public place, and then they would arrange to meet somewhere more private. They alleged that there was a consistent pattern of them making inappropriate sexual advances that were unwanted. He would then either force himself on the victim or threaten to harm himself unless they agreed to go along with what he wanted. They said there was a clear and consistent pattern across four states of this type of behaviour. 
Now, tell us a bit about this chap who has been following Rossi. What exactly is his job? And I imagine from what you're saying that, like a lot of American jobs, he's not a kind of legal appointee. He's been elected. So as the Utah County Attorney, he was elected as a Republican. But he came in on a reformist Republican agenda on the liberal wing of that party. He doesn't believe in the death penalty. He has an advocate of rehabilitation. And that has um, generated quite a few enemies for him. He's got this kit. DNA matches this guy. And also there's some knowledge about his MO. And then Levitt can't find him. Yes. So this goes um, federal, it goes to Interpol. There's a notice put out around the world looking for this guy under his many pseudonyms uh, with many images of him. And he can be identified from very distinctive tattoos on both arms. On one arm, he has an image of a Greek titan. And another one, he has the crest of Brown University in Rhode Island. So what does Levitt think at this point has happened to him? In February 2020, his obituary was put out under the name Nicholas Alaverdian to the American news outlets, which many of them duly published, and it said that he died of cancer. His ashes had been scattered at sea, and a memorial mass had been organised in his honour. Levitt claims he was suspicious about this, and uh, yeah, he kept on investigating. He said this wasn't the end of the matter. He thought that he'd try to flee and evade justice. So far from allaying people's suspicions, this obituary actually raises them even higher. Absolutely, yeah. If he'd, you know, faded away gradually, he probably could have slipped away. But this was so, you know, grandiose. His last words were quoted as being, fear not and run towards the bliss of the sun. Somebody said it was more befitting for the death of a pope or a queen. So this drew attention to it and people started looking into it. So they got a lead saying that they found that he had travelled from the US to Dublin and that was in 2017. But there was no log of him returning to the US and that focused their search to this side of the Atlantic. Levitt himself had actually been the subject of attacks that he began to suspect were linked to Rossi. That's correct, yes. It was utterly bizarre. So in June of this year, this guy, Arthur Knight, on his website, he posted that David Levitt, the prosecutor who was calling for his extradition, and his wife, Shalom, were primary suspects in a ritual sex abuse ring. Which... <laughs> Sounds absolutely extraordinary. But the very next day, Levitt held a press conference where he looked baffled, crestfallen, utterly distraught. He's got tears in his eyes, where he denied cannibalism and murdering small children. There is no organized ring of abuse. It was debunked more than 10 years ago. It was dismissed by someone not in any respect affiliated with me. The allegations that are, that are there are so outlandish and so crazy that, um, yeah, they're, they're just not true. It was an utterly surreal scenario. And he said that the strings on this had been pulled by this individual, Rossi, working with his political opponents in Utah. 
So we have the bizarre side of the person who's trying to pursue a fugitive having to defend himself from claims of cannibalism and satanic abuse. Yeah, himself and his wife. And he's standing there saying, I am not a paedophile cannibal. And then back in Scotland, you've got this guy saying nothing to do with me, despite the fact that he'd put it up on his website. Okay, now as far as Levitt knows, Rossi has made his way to Ireland. In other words, he's on this side of the Atlantic, as you put it. So now tell us how he then emerges so that people know where he is. Apparently there was a driving licence under one of his aliases, Nicholas Brown, that had turned up in Ireland. And then they found out he'd crossed over to England and he'd got married to a woman called Miranda on February 22nd, 2020. Now, interestingly, a week later was when his death was announced uh, in the US. They got a breakthrough that he moved with Miranda to Glasgow. I understand that police went to their house and said, is this your husband? Showed a picture, said yes. Well, he's in hospital just now. And according to this individual in question, this suspect, he woke up after being in a COVID coma to find police looming over him saying, you're nicked, you're the chief suspect in this international manhunt, you're accused of rape. So that was December 2021 when he was arrested at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Glasgow. So he was living in Glasgow by this point. Do we have any idea what he was actually doing? So they live in a flat in the west end of Glasgow, which is an affluent bohemian community next to the University of Glasgow. He told his neighbours that he was an academic at the university and he was writing a textbook on religious education for children. He is not an academic. Glasgow University have confirmed he isn't. When I questioned him about this, he said, I'm actually a private tutor. He also claimed that he was a public relations executive and specialist. But there's nothing out there in his name to confirm that. He would wear a three-piece suit at all times. He dyed his moustache blonde, wore a Panama hat. He would hold court at the local bar where he would talk politics He would talk about his hero, JFK, and he would say to the barman, you really want to serve cocktails, I can tell you how to make a great daiquiri, which caused some amusement. And then, as you say, he's hospitalised with COVID. And by now, the police are on his trail anyway, so they find him in hospital. And I imagine, given the tattoos you talked about, it was quite easy to establish it was him. Well, after he was arrested and he finally appeared in court, the prosecution say, yeah, he was identified from these distinctive tattoos. Now, they say that there's one arm of tattoos is complete and they say on the other arm he's made attempts to remove them, but there's still residual scarring. This individual, the suspect, says that's nonsense and he doesn't have any tattoos. I imagine a photograph would sort that one out, but anyway. It shouldn't be too difficult. Tell us how the story then develops. It's a huge story. People are interested in it. You've got press from the US. You've got press from Scotland. With his face covered by an oxygen mask, the man who denies being a fugitive who faked his own death arrived at court with his wife. Prosecutors say the man before the sheriff is Nicholas Rossi, who's wanted in the United States to face an allegation of rape and fraud charges. He's suddenly a figure of international fascination. Who is this guy? 
And of course, at this point, other people start recognizing him. Yes, there's a woman who lives in Essex, and she said that she started communicating with a guy called Nicholas Aliverdian. 2017, they exchanged messages. He was over in the US and he said he wanted to come over to England and make a go of things. And she was quite cautious to begin with, but she was charmed by him. So in June 17, he arrived, he moved into their house. And then she said that he took control of what she could wear. She suggested that it became an issue of coercive control, which culminated in him raping her. And she's since reported that to the police who are investigating that in Essex. As of now, what are the legal proceedings against this Arthur Knight stroke, Rossi stroke, Aliverdian? He has been convicted of threatening behaviour at an NHS hospital. So this was on the 9th of August. He appeared in court and he was found guilty. Now, the evidence was heard that the nurses and doctors that were looking after him believed that they believed he was immobile. But when they told him that he was fit enough to be discharged, they gave evidence that he jumped from his sick bed and charged at them. Now, giving evidence, Evelyn Miller, who's an NHS consultant, she told the Glasgow Sheriff Court he came off the bed at a very rapid speed. As he came towards us, he was inches from our faces. We were terrified. We thought he was coming to harm us. Sheriff Joseph Platt sided with the NHS staff. So he was taken from court in a wheelchair, protesting his innocence, said they'd got it all horribly wrong. And he's back in HMP Edinburgh. There's also the ongoing extradition hearing about whether he's going to be sent to the United States or not. In the US, he's accused of two rapes in Utah, but there's also alleged offences in Rhode Island, Ohio, Utah and Massachusetts. Sexual assault, sexual harassment, attempted kidnapping, identity fraud, extortion, credit card fraud. So it goes on and on. Coming up. We'll hear about Mark's first meeting with the man at the centre of this story. That's after a message from a colleague. My name's Andrew Billen. I'm a features writer on The Times. I spend most of my days interviewing famous people, from Diana Ross to David Cameron. My job is to find out what they're really like. I can only do that thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The story so far. American prosecutors believe Nicholas Rossi has resurfaced in Glasgow. They say he's the man known as Arthur Knight, that he needs to be extradited to face charges including rape. He says it's all a big mix-up. He's never been to America. Over at The Times, reporter Mark Horn was about to get an intriguing email. I was looking through my spam folder one evening and there was an email and it said Arthur Knight. And I said, Arthur Knight, name rings a bell. <laughs> and he said, look, I've been reading your work. I'm very interested in meeting you. I want to put my side of the story. I would love to invite you around to my flat. So, yeah, I ended up going there with some trepidation on the basis that this is a guy who the US authorities say is a highly dangerous individual. He's one of America's most wanted so, yeah, on my way around to meet him, all sorts of thoughts are running through my head. And then when I knocked at the door, there was a softly spoken English woman, introduced herself as Miranda, his wife. She escorted me in and said that her husband wasn't quite ready yet. With everything going on, it's kind of stressful. It is stressful, I can see that. It and is then stressful. the health as well, so you'll see it. Yeah. It's just the getting ready. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I could sit and wait for them and it'd be, he'd be through uh, presently. Right. Now, you said all kinds of thoughts were going through your head. I imagine one of them was, why does he want to speak to me? That's what I would have thought. I guess you did too. I did too, yeah. I mean, he said he reads The Times and he wanted to get his story out in the paper. And he was keen to protest his innocence. And he thought this was the best way to do it. What's the room like that you're in? First thing I noticed was there was all sorts of religious iconography and paraphernalia. There are crucifixes, there are Bibles, there's a jar with holy water written on it, a marker pen. There was all sorts of icons on the wall. There was Frank Sinatra, Julius Caesar, Winston Churchill and Paddington Bear. So how does he enter? So the door creaks open. Miranda is pushing him in on his wheelchair and then she decants him into this sort of throne-like Chesterfield. And you can barely hear him over the sound of this oxygen cylinder. And he's got this mask clamped over his face. I would say that not only am I not guilty, I have not even been before a court of law to prove my innocence. We have had multiple opportunities to tell our story to the press, my wife and I. And what people have done is they have completely taken 
and to proportion the actual facts of the case. And when he spoke to me, he said that he was the victim of a monstrous miscarriage of justice. And he put his point of view across that this was a conspiracy against him by David Levitt, the Utah County attorney, who had it in for him and was contriving to bring him into this bizarre international incident. I have not been questioned by any authority from the United States in any matter at all. I have not been to the United States. I have not had any opportunity to speak with David Levitt. I'm not the person who the police see. I have proved that time after time. This is yet another ploy by David Levitt. He contests that uh, he has no idea who this guy, Nicholas Rossi slash Aliverdian is. Now, his version of events is that he is an innocent uh, tutor by the name of Arthur Knight. He says that he has never left uh, the UK or Ireland. He was brought up in an institution in Dublin. He has no birth certificate. He has no passport. And that he somehow, as a 14-year-old, managed to break out of this institution with some friends, got on a boat to England, and he said that he made his way to London. And I asked him, well, how did you make your living when you made it to the big city? He described himself as a bookish Dell boy who made a living selling secondhand books. I said, you know, that's extraordinary. I said, it sounds like something out of the work of Dickens. An extraordinary story like that needs some extraordinary proof. Would it be possible to speak to some of your, your friends who accompanied you from the institution who also came to London and he shook his head mournfully and he said, no, can't do that, Mark. Unfortunately, they've all been ensnared by the lures of the streets. Ensnared by the lures of the streets? That's right. They had succumbed to uh, drugs and alcohol. And they'd all pegged it? Yeah. So they, they couldn't vouch for him, unfortunately. And he's never been near the States and that's his story. His story is that he's incapable of flying. He says that he has severe scarring of his lungs from COVID. He has epilepsy, he has muscular atrophy. He's dependent on oxygen. And if he had to go on a plane, he would be dead by the time it arrived across the Atlantic. Was Miranda standing by while he said all this? So Miranda, uh, she was hugely supportive of him, as she is to this day. She said it made her feel sick to her stomach that the allegations that were people were making against her husband. He's kind, he's respectful, he's polite. You know, I think sometimes he's over polite. You know, he, he always yeah. wants to be, you know, the perfect gentleman. I trust him. You know, he's never made me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. He would never do anything to hurt me. Now, I can't even think of, no. you know, what I've read in the papers about this person and what he's done and the types of things he's done in America, this, this, this Nicholas Rosie. Mm -hmm. She said he was a kind man, a gentle man. Everybody who met him loved him. And if they only they knew the real Arthur, then, you know, you would know that these allegations are just nonsense. Miranda is the most interesting part of this. She's a real enigma. 
There are all sorts of theories surrounding about her. Now, one theory is that she's plotting with her husband. There are other people who say that she's the victim of the piece, that the wool has been pulled over her eyes, she's been deceived, and other people suggest there's an element of coercive control here and that she has been forced to go along with this. Now, I've put these to Miranda, and she laughs it off. She says it's absolutely outrageous. She says that all she is is a wife who's standing by her man, and that she said she's going to stand by him until he's vindicated. She also said that she has known him since 2011, and therefore it couldn't possibly be the same individual because he was in England with her. If he actually only did come to Ireland in 2017 and then subsequently to England, she's lying. Well, the stories don't tally. She's insistent that her story is true. Something's got to give eventually. I imagine you evinced a degree of scepticism as this story unfolded. How did they deal with your scepticism? Well, when I... When I was speaking to him, he kept going back to this conspiracy theory against David Levitt, and there was a bit of a battle of wills. I said, let's go back to Ireland, let's go back to your childhood. And he seemed a bit uncomfortable when he was being questioned about his childhood. He changed the years uh, a couple of times. He wanted to talk about how he was the victim of this overarching conspiracy. So I said to him, if this happened to me, I would have a birth certificate, a passport... I would have an internet trail. I would literally have thousands and thousands of people who could vouch for me and say, this isn't an international fugitive. You know, I've known this guy all my life. And he said he wasn't able to do that, unfortunately. Let's talk a bit about his health. How seriously should we take his claim that he is suffering so badly from COVID? Because you can see how this might play into an extradition case that he needs to be in a wheelchair and have permanent access to oxygen. So it depends on who you ask. When I was round at the flat, Arthur spilt cranberry juice down his front and he had to be lifted out of his chair. I helped Miranda do that. She says that he is extremely ill. The Scottish authorities who've examined him, they take a very different view. They say his oxygen levels are normal and that he's perfectly fit to stand trial and to be extradited. They've withdrawn his oxygen from him on some occasions, and he's survived. He's still here to tell the tale. So, Mark, what happened at the initial court hearing? He was represented in one hearing by a lawyer who referred to him as uh, Nicholas Rossi. And that prompted quite an angry outburst. He said, it's night, night, night. He sacked her and said that she was a mouse in the court who wasn't fit to represent him. She didn't have the necessary gravitas. So he then reluctantly had to represent himself because nobody wanted to take on the case. But not only did he represent himself, he represented himself wearing a dressing gown, purple silk pyjamas and slippers with the Prince of Wales crest on him. So it was quite a surreal experience. And he's given a press conference? Yes, he did at a hotel in Edinburgh. And there was a handful of journalists turned up, which 
didn't please him very much. And he began by phoning up a BBC Scotland correspondent and demanding to know why he wasn't there and lambasted him in front of everybody. He then said he wanted to talk about Magna Carta and how he was a British bloke and that Magna Carta was going to come to the rescue and he was going to prove that this American villain, David Levitt, was conspiring against him and he would win a crushing victory. Magna Carta is a sacred text that has survived the test of time, a document that is put in writing the principle that no man or woman is above the law. To begin with, he was released on bail, but then he was rearrested and it was decided he posed a significant flight risk and he remains in custody just now. What do the Scottish authorities make of him? He really has twisted their tail quite hard. He has frequent outbursts in court. He makes outrageous allegations against various senior legal figures, various senior political figures, saying they are but puppets of David Levitt, and this is a global international conspiracy. So, yeah, they're not very well disposed to him, I think is a fair summation. Now, tell me about the extradition process. Are we... I include Scotland in this. Are we good at extraditing back to the uh, US? We aren't. It's not a simple procedure at all. Now, I've spoken to some of the most preeminent extradition experts in Scotland, and their view was that if this individual had kept his head down, had a low profile, and let his lawyer speak for him, they think he'd have a very low chance indeed of being extradited on the basis that the prison facilities in Utah are just not fit they're inhumane, and it wouldn't be right to extradite somebody there. It's quite interesting. One lawyer I spoke to, he said there's been a clear precedent sent. There was a guy called Daniel McGee, who was a 24-year-old from Aberdeen. And earlier this year, he, he was alleged to have shot and killed a security guard in Texas in 2016. Now, the request to extradite him back to Texas was rejected on the basis that prison conditions in Texas are inhumane. So there was a suggestion that a precedent had been set and that he probably wouldn't be sent back to Utah. Now, given that the original rape kit dates back to 2008, that's an awful long time for that alleged victim to wait for justice, really, isn't it? It is. It's an extraordinarily long time. and I'm aware that it has caused them considerable concern. And what does David Levitt now hope for? David Levitt has always said from the very beginning that they've got the right guy. He said he has full confidence in the Scottish authorities. He's saying it's time for them to deliver. At his most recent extradition hearing in September, the man at the centre of this case appeared at Edinburgh Sheriff Court by video link from jail. He was in a wheelchair and wearing an oxygen mask. He claimed to have been tortured and said he was dying. And again, he denied all allegations. He now has legal representation. He's now on to his fifth legal representative, a guy called Ross Jenkins. And quite interestingly, he said that his client's mental health might become an issue. Previously at hearings, they said it was all to do with his physical health. But now they were suggesting that his mental health is going to come in play and they're going to examine this in future. Is he still insisting 
that he is the first identity that he told you he was. Or, yes, yeah, he's very uh, much insistent he's Arthur Knight and not this fugitive from justice from the United States. Is he suggesting any other way in which this can be verified? When he did appear in court, there was calls for a third set of fingerprints to be taken. When this was proposed, his lawyer said he didn't think this would be possible because his client was indisposed. The judge disagreed with this and said that, no, he's on remand, he's got plenty of time to be giving fingerprints, and he ordered that for that to be taking place. A further hearing will take place on October the 6th, and the full hearing is likely to happen in early November. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times reporter Mark Horne. You can find all of Mark's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were James Shield and Chris Wade. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. <laughs>